Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Alright, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Raiders show and welcome to the month of May. To me, this is sort of like the unofficial beginning of the summer season. When you live in a cold weather climate like New York, you try to grab as many months from the spring or fall as you can to make it part of the summer. And to me, this is one of them. Hey, right there, twist assisted, tear it loose. I'm pretty sure Dean wants to tear a few people loose this week. Uh, he, he was banned by the gay community for being the Grand Marshal in their parade in San Francisco because he agreed with Paul Stanley on his uh, trans comments. This is a crazy world we live in. I, I'm telling you. Uh, Dean chose his words in response very carefully because I guess he didn't want to stop his shit any more than it already was. But uh, I tell you, for a guy who's gone his whole life running around in drag and standing up for those people and everything that they say and do, they kind of shit it all over him. He didn't deserve that. And Dean's got a big mouth, I know that. He talks a lot of shit, but he also does a lot of good. He volunteers for a lot of stuff. Uh, it is what it is. This is the world we live in today. Right there, twist the sister and tear it loose. Hey, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Michael Kiska from Halloween is our first guest, and Craig Cicero from Forbidden. The band has just gotten back together. We'll talk to both of them as the show goes on. We got about a half hour before we talk to Michael, and then we'll follow it up with Craig. Halloween is coming back to America next week, and I cannot wait. The last time they were here, uh, was it 2018 or 19, I think? Uh, they played like a three-hour show. It was absolutely unbelievable. Playing at a little bigger venue this time, so uh, it should be great. I don't know if it's going to be the same length of time, but it is what it is. If you're anywhere near where they're playing, go out and see the band on tour. All right, how about we uh, get into the music? We'll do our demolition segment before the first interview tonight. How about some Simon off their brand new record? We had Ed on the show a couple of months ago when the album first came out. Here's Dead Eyes, Lying in the Rain. We 
Alright, you know, we started out that set with a little of Tampa Bay's finest siren, Dead Eyes Lying in the Rain, and Nasty Savage, Unchained Angel. Nasty Ronnie is the last man standing in that lineup or that band. Uh, David Austin left last year. I know he's working on some new music. I don't know if it's a studio project or something solo he's doing, if it's part of a new band. Uh, I'll reach out to him and find out. Maybe we'll get David back on the show again. You know, but Nasty Savage has been making the rounds through the festival circuit this year, and that will probably continue until 2024. And we closed it out with Creature. They were a really good band out of Hamburg, Germany. Uh, they formed in like 1982 and only had one record out in 1989. So they kind of missed the boat there. A lot of those, you know, prime years when metal was flying high, these guys just couldn't get it going on with any record label or deal. But they did put, they did put out that first record, uh, like I said, in 1989. They got back together in 2015, I believe. They released Ride the Bullet, an album which I don't think I ever even heard or picked up. So I got to go look into that after the show and see what that's all about. Okay, how about we do our demolition segment? We'll get that out of the way because lately it's been running later and later because we've had a lot of guests on here. And I have to tell you, last week we had Claude Snell on the show, Dio's keyboard player. And we must have spoke for two hours. And I had only gotten up to about when he left the band. Uh, and uh, and Vinny Abbasi left the band. We ran out of time. I never expected the interview to go that long. If it would be such a great talkative guest. We've had a few over the years. But he definitely is number one. Uh, but he is working on that book, and hopefully it'll be out next year. We'll have him back on the show, and we'll pick up where we left off. And we're going to have to do a whole three-hour show with him, because he definitely has the gift of gab. I have to say that. All right, this is Hexen House. That's the band. Uh, they originally started out as Manaya Blade back in the early 80s. Uh, this was Mike Weed's band, who went on to play with King Diamond and Merciful Fate later, in the later era of the band. Uh, around 87, I think, 88. Uh, that's when this band came about. Most of the guys kind of left parted ways with Manali Blade, formed Hex and House. They put out, I think, one record or two records back then, maybe three. And then uh, they kind of disappeared after that. I'm not even sure, to be honest with you. They had this one demo from 1988 with four songs on it. I remember a Tribute to Insanity, The Edge of Eternity, and I think Awakening was the, uh, the last one. There might have been one after that. I'm not really sure. But this is off the 88 demo. It's The Dead or Restless. <laughs>
Hey, yo, some old Manila Road, Queen of the Black Coast, before that essay slave with Off at the Heads. I didn't want to play the instrument. I was trying to play If You Want Evil right before that, but it was jumping around when I was uploading it, and I kind of got the wrong song on there. But it's still essay Slayer. And before that, Hexen House, The Dead or Restless, off the 1988 demo. Now, let's get to a little Halloween. We'll speak to Michael Kiska. The band is coming to America next week. Here in my area, they will be at Terminal 5 on the 20th of May, I cannot wait to go see these guys live again. The last time was just phenomenal. All right, let's play some classic uh, Halloween. Then we'll talk to Mike. Trip with me to future
I turn off the camera? Too? Okay. Okay. So I can sit in the sun then. It's easier. <laughs> there you go. Hey, well, Michael, such a big fan of yours going back many decades now. And I couldn't tell you how happy I was when you reunited with Halloween and seeing your last show here in New York City in 2018. That was a marathon. That was like a three-hour show. That was incredible. Yeah, that was extremely long. I mean, we, we, we will not be playing that long this time because we, we're coming with Hammerfall, which we actually decided to do because we didn't know what would happen after the pandemic, you know, how, how people would show up. But it turned out they showed up pretty well, actually in some places even even better than before. But we still continue with them because it just works so great with them, you know. Sure. You know, this whole Pumpkin United thing, it's not just a concert. It's like an event. I mean, having you and Kai back in the band again, I think Halloween of today is more of the classic lineup than it has been in the last two or three decades. Well, it's it's definitely different. I mean, it, it usually happens that when a singer is leaving a band or a guitar player, then you have new individuals coming instead of those. But we did it differently this time. You know, they just we just got together with Kai and me and the existing band and do this thing together. And that's definitely something that I don't think has done like, has been done like this before. I think Van Halen was trying to do something like that, wasn't there? Wasn't they? With uh, with David Lee Roth uh, and uh, Sammy Hagar. Didn't they try to do something like that too and it didn't work out or something? Yeah, they tried. It just didn't happen. I guess all the you know all the friction between the different members. But uh, yeah. Sammy Hagar did go out with David Lee Roth, you know, solo, and that was a nightmare. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, but things like Which that happen because I think both guys, you know, they don't they they seem to be quite okay. You know, just personally, they seem to be nice and 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 clever and whatever. But when it comes to the singer ego, maybe it's a uh, it's a bit more difficult. It's not like that with me and Andy though. I must say that's a that's a that's a lucky one. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done it. I mean, there had been a lot of preparation. I, I don't know if we talked before about this. It's quite a while ago now. But before we really announced, uh, before we announced that we wanted to do something like that, there was a lot of preparation. There was a lot of testing how how we get along and stuff. You know, I had to I had to get my shit together with Waikiki, which was very easy because he's he's a completely different person. I am a different person too. But he has completely changed. I mean, he doesn't want to have any arguments or fights or whatever. He just wants to smoke his cigarette and is completely hungry for harmony. Um, so it was really just figuring out if I would get along with Andy, whom I didn't know. I'd, I'd never met him before. So before we even went further with thinking about this idea, I, I was I was flying over to Tenerife to spend... A uh, bit of time with him. I was there for about two weeks, and we were together almost every day. And it just worked out perfectly well. It was almost like it sounds always like cheap promotion when you say things like that. Um, but I guarantee you, I'm not that type of person who just says something to make things sound or look good. I mean, I, I really got along with him very well. It felt like it felt like we're old friends or something like that. It was really good. And when that was out of the way. We just we started seriously talking about it, how we could pull this off and stuff, you know. It definitely showed on stage the way you two guys work together, and I think the fact because both of you kind of handled your own era of the band and your own music, you know, one came in, one came off, and it worked well until you both got together, and you could feel like there was chemistry there, and it was working. But now, was that really meant to be like a one-off type of tour where it was going to be like a special thing, and then it was going to end, or was there talk from the very beginning about keeping this going for as long as you could? It was actually only 
plan for one tour at first. We made contracts that ended, I think, let me think, I think it, they ended at the end of 2018. That's when we had the contract. So if everything would have gone down badly, it would be easy to everybody going his own way, you know. Um, but we decided to do an album after that because everything went down so well and we, we got along very well and we, we just took it from there, you know. And, and the, the Halloween record from two years ago, a great album. I mean, how did that work out between the two of you with you and Andy? Because now you're working on new material, and is it a matter of picking and choosing what song goes better with what single? Was song was written for a certain singer? Both. I mean, sometimes the songwriter already had a singer in his mind. Like, for instance, with Angels, uh, uh, Sasha had wrote that song with my voice in his mind, and he said right away, I, I had Michael in, in my head singing that song. So that was pretty obvious that I would do it. But if anything wasn't like that, if any song was, was open in terms of who could sing it, we, we, we started with having Dennis Ward, who was the creative producer. We had him making a rough draft of what he thinks in terms of splitting what could work out. I mean, he knows both singers. He, he has been working with me in Unisonic and, and with Plasma Dome. He knows my voice. And he has been obviously been in Pink Green 69 and he knows Andy's voice so uh, he just made a, a, a rough draft of what he thinks nothing was you know written in stone but it was it was something to start with and that's that's how we tried the songs and if anyone it was usually like when when I was not feeling comfortable with something and I felt like mm, I don't know maybe maybe Andy should give it a try I just passed it on to him and the next day he gave it a try and vice versa I mean it was really just about the songs and that was the beautiful thing about it I mean, we were really like working on the songs as a team, and it was it was never about ego. It was always about figuring out what makes the song shine the best, you know. True. I mean, you know, ego always plays a big thing in any kind of band because you know members just you know it just gets in them sometimes. But you know, you're talking like 30 years later from the beginning of the band, more than that, really. But as time goes on, there's like all the stuff that you've worried about and thought about and put a lot of emphasis on early on when you were younger kind of disappears. You get all they say, hey, you know what? We're in a different place right now. Let's yeah. just enjoy this while, you know, while we have it, while it lasts. And it became such a big thing. Yeah, I had that special moment, actually, that made me realize it. I mean, I was there was a number of years where I was really disappointed. I was really disappointed about everything. I, I didn't even want to, it was not only that I didn't want to have anything to do with Halloween, I didn't want to have anything to do with the music industry. I was completely fed up, I was completely disappointed, I was mainly doing other things. Um, but down those, I mean, going down those years, something had changed in myself, but I didn't know until I ran into Michael Wycath. And I, I, I still think it was something like 2016, or maybe 15, I'm not 100% sure. But I, I was on tour with Avantasia. We played a festival in France, and Halloween was playing there too. And our dressing room was next to the one uh, of Halloween. And I just ran into Michael Wycath, and he was standing in front of me, and he looked at me, and he said, "What have I done that you can't forgive me?" Wow. And and that was a line. I mean, whatever. There's nothing you can really. I mean, you're you're unarmed right away. And I was yeah. just breathing in. And then I was kind of listening into myself. And, and my answer was, after like a few seconds of, of holding still, I was like, you know what? I think I've forgiven you a long time ago. Because that was just the situation. I just noticed that the, the anger was gone. It was just gone. So that was the beginning of me getting a different kind of 
perspective at the whole situation. It was still not, there was still no talk about any Pumpkins United thing, but something had changed in me. And I've, I noticed that on that day. And there was one other moment, maybe a year later, where we played with Unisonic in Spain. We had like three nice shows in, in Spain with Unisonic. The band was in great shape. It was fantastic shows. And I remember that on one of the, the evenings after the show, we were in the dressing room getting out of the stage clothes and, and stuff. And, and, and Kai Hansen was looking at me and he said, you know, Michael, one day we just got to do something with Halloween again before it's too late. And I just looked at him and said, you know what? I'm open. And that's, that was the uh, really the initiation for it because Costa was playing drums in Unisonic and Costa is also part of the management of uh, Unisonic and of Halloween. And he passed this on to Bayati, who is the, the manager of Halloween. And then Bayati called me up and he wanted to know how serious my statement was. And, and from there, we took it like step by step, figuring out how this, this could work. But I was actually the one uh, giving the starting shot by saying that I'm open. And that that has changed. I mean, the years before, it would have been impossible to do this. I wasn't really interested in anything like that. Yeah, it all started with that one run-in with Michael, and that was it. Yep. Amazing that it happened that way. And I'm glad that it did. And like most Halloween fans, you know, I was heartbroken and disappointed when you, you split with the band. But I look at all the great work you did after that. I mean, from the first solo record of Instant Clarity to the other ones. And then, like I said, Unisonic, Plaz Van Dome. I mean, you worked with Avanstasia on and off throughout the years. And I love the stuff you did with Amanda Somerville over the years. On yeah, Frontier. yeah. They, it was so things. varied that, you know, what you did. It was so, I mean, you really explored, I think, music from one end to the other. Yeah, it was, I had some great offers. I mean, when, when I'm on my own, I can only do that much, you know. Uh, on, the, on the first record that I did, I had some help. You know, I had a bit of Kai Hansen joining in. I had a bit of Adrian Smith joining in. So that, that record was, was a bit more uh, something where I had help. But later on, I was more on my own, or I had other friends helping me out. But these Unisonic and Plasma Dome and Amanda Somerville was always... There was always a record company behind it with with songwriter people and stuff. So it, it was a bit more, uh, let, let, let's say, professional. You know, it was not just a personal kind of thing. It was more like a like a like a professional uh, a project to do. That's that's why they those three projects. Um, I think they're just better because of that. Because when you get together with with talented people, you can just do more than when you're just on your own. It has its quality, of course, when you do very personal stuff, but it's just not the same thing. It's the same now with Halloween. It's a completely different dynamic. You know, you can do you can do so much more. I mean, usually you are better together with other people than on your own. True. Well, you know, when you're writing your own music and your own albums, I mean, you're the one that's in charge of it from start to finish. You kind of direct where the songs go. And like you said, with the Frontier-type records, I know they had a lot of people writing music for them, especially back then. Uh, Matt Sinner did a lot of work and a lot of the behind-the-scenes writing uh, for yeah. the band. So I guess it could go both ways. I mean, when someone else writes a song with you in mind, it could kind of be magical, even though you kind of have to go with what they kind of wrote for you. But how much input do you have when someone else is writing the music for you? I mean, they always have like a like a rough version of the song, sometimes even a better version. But it was t sometimes a pretty rough demo that was even changing during the production time and i was pretty free in terms of, of of i mean they had melodies of course i mean it was it was songs that they had written but the way i performed it uh, is of course my cup of tea 
Um, it was actually even more free than it is sometimes here in Halloween. Because it's like when, when Kai or any of the songwriters, when they write songs, they have always very particular um, uh, ideas of how this would sound. I personally am not a big fan of that because I think you should always try. I mean, I, I love it to sing songs from other songwriters. I mean, I've done that in Halloween the whole time. It's not the problem, you, but you got to have to make it your own. So you have you have to figure out how to sing it to, to feel comfortable. And usually, I mean that's what's happening. But I, I sometimes have the situation that uh, that I do things slightly different than, for instance, Kai would do it. And sometimes there are little arguments, you know, when he feels like, well, I think you should sing it like that and that. But I don't really like to do things any other way than the way I feel it. You know, I think that's a situation that every singer knows that works with other strong-minded musicians in the band and. I, I personally think it should always be left to the musician. I mean, the songwriter writes the song, and of course it has to be the, the song the way, in general, the way the songwriter thinks the song should be. You shouldn't change the song complete, completely against the will of the songwriter. That's not what I mean. But when it comes to how to perform it as a singer or how you play the guitar, how do you play the solo, how you play the drums, it should always be the individual, the musician that brings himself into the song. And most of the time it is like that. But we have like very strong-minded uh, people in this band when it comes to singing. And sometimes it's, it's not so easy. Sure. You know, being in a band with four or five members can be challenging because, like it says, everybody has their own opinions and what they want to do. Now you have seven guys in the band. Does it, yeah. make, it, does it make it that much harder? Is it a lot more compromising, a lot more maybe kind of biting your tongue during certain situations? Funny thing is not really because, first of all, Marcus doesn't say much. Uh, Donnie is always concentrating on his drums. He doesn't really say anything about vocals or whatever. And um, I, I'm, I'm completely like, uh, like in tune with Andy. It's really easy to figure things out and, and get excited about, about a song. It's really more, I would say, Kai and me. I mean, I have a very great relationship with Kai, but, but he is actually the, the one that, the, that, that is the most trying to make me function in the way he likes me to, to sound like, you know. Uh, and very often he even wants to sing himself. It uh, um, doesn't even want me to sing it. So, that, but but the rest is actually quite relaxed. Wyke has a very strong mind too, but he would always just suggest it. He would always just say, "Well, it should be done like." You know, he sings it to you, and then you try it if it's possible. But he's more easygoing these days than, than he used to be. Kai is actually a lot more focused in you know trying to take control over everything that he does than he used to be he used to be a little bit more flexible when it comes to these things but um maybe it was just this time and maybe it was just because he had this one song uh skyfall so he was probably holding on to it a bit more yeah you know you're going back to the the first tour from like 2018 were you guys saying to yourselves you know is anybody going to care about this is this going to go over well is were there any doubts like about what you guys were doing at that time or did you kind of say you know people are going to go crazy for this you know our fan base and i mean when you played here in new york the place was shoulder to shoulder it was sold out and now when you come back you're playing in a place twice as big as the last one and america is actually the smallest places we play i mean everywhere else is much bigger than we've ever played I mean, South America, we, we, we very often play like 14,000, 10,000, 9,000, you know, these capacities. We have venues like that over here in Europe, too. 
it's it's much bigger. I mean, fourteen thousand we played a few times here. We even played like in Stuttgart nine thousand, which is for this type of music and 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 uh, uh, for us in general, it, it's amazing. It's it's bigger than we ever played. Uh, North America is actually the smallest venues we play. Uh, but when it came to before we started, I wasn't sure. I, I did not have any opinion about it. Let's not forget, I did not pay attention much to to the to the career of the band or to the to the whole music scene at all. I was I was I was after a while I was starting to participate to these projects like Plas Vendôme and whatever. But I never toured with them. I started touring with Avantasia a little then, like I think 2011 or something. I didn't play any any live shows with uh, with uh, Amanda with. Uh, Kiskasamaville or Plasmodome. And then we, we toured pretty extensively with Unisonic, uh, but that was pretty much it. But I wasn't really aware of the situation with Halloween. I, I, I wasn't really paying attention. I did not know what to expect. I, I was thinking that it might do okay, but I did not expect this thing to, to be that successful. I mean, that, I, but of course you're happy when 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 things went, go down like that. And I, I believe it has a lot to do with that this is not a hoax. This is not a, just a financial setup or something. It's really something we wanted to do on a personal level. You know, I wanted to get this stuff out of my system and it was really it was really like a, a healing process to, to finally get rid of all these bad emotions that have been piled up over so many years. It's a very healing thing. And I think people can tell when they see us on stage that this is like, that the spirit is real. I mean, we're, we're, we're still pretty different individuals and, and, and sometimes we have arguments, you know. It's not that we're just kissing and hugging the whole time, but we really get along well. It's just, it's just a very good spirit most of the time, you know, especially on stage. And that's a great thing, too. And, you know, like the tour ends now. It's 2019 going to 2020. You guys decided to keep this going, and there's going to be a new record coming out. Then this pandemic hit. Did that kind yep. of put, like, the, a stake in the heart of the band, like, where we go now? It was difficult. It, it definitely took the, the momentum away. I mean, we had an amazing tour, that, that, especially in 2018. I, I, I enjoyed 2018 way more because – the whole 2017 tour we did for two months, I was sick almost the whole time. I caught something in South America and didn't get rid of it. So it was a big struggle for me the whole time. It was, it was really bad. But 2018, I was fine the whole time. And then we, then we started working on the album, and we did not even plan to play live in 2019. But then uh, we, we received this request from the Scorpions, who were playing with? Uh, who were planning to play with uh, White Snake and Megadeth? But then Dave Mustaine got sick, so they asked us if we would like to jump on the tour. The Scorpions did, and I'm glad we did. First of all, I got to meet one of my idols, uh, David Coverdale, uh, who, who turned out to be a very sweet person. And uh, so we so we jumped in 2019, end of 2019, on this um, uh, White Snake. Um, Scorpions tour, and that was actually the last thing we did. The last show I did before the pandemic, uh, we did before the pandemic was uh, Rock in Rio. We we played before Iron Maiden in, in, in front of 110,000 people. That was the last show. After that, we flew back, and then we did we recorded the album. And, and right after we finished recording the album, uh, the first lockdowns started and that definitely took the momentum away 
You know, we had we would have released the album in 2020, and then that would have been another even bigger tour with a bigger production, and all that was kind of blown away. And, and so we now we kind of restarted, you know, uh, with a, with a little slower pace. It still goes great, but it, I think it would have been even more exciting without this freaking pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of bands did. They they held on to the records, hoping that this thing would break and they can get the record out and go on tour. And a lot of bands are still waiting, actually, to get them out there. Yeah. Is there new music? Because, you know, one thing Halloween is known for is constantly putting out new music on a pretty consistent basis. So is there going to be anything new, you think, maybe next year or the year after that? I'm sure. I mean, the what's really interesting, even without me, you still have four great songwriters in this band. You have Sasha. You had Andy, who's really a great songwriter. You have Kai, and and, and you have Waiki. You know, and they and they have all together. They're totally capable of writing a lot of material. So it's never really a problem to have enough material. I, I, I know that Kai already has four songs, four new songs, and he was he had has sent he had sent me one ten days ago. Uh, wanted me uh, to tell him what I feel about it because he wasn't sure because it was kind of different to. What he normally does, it has a, has a bit of a Queen vibe, you know, with piano and big choirs, and then it goes into a rock song. It's like a, another rock opera or something. I loved it. I hope we're going to do it because I like things like that, you know. And there's nothing really this band can do when you look at the catalog. I mean, it is a very wide field of, of, of musical styles that we have covered uh, during the, same, the, 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 the years that this band exists now. I mean, from Thresh really poppy stuff we can pretty much do anything you know that's true I know like you said this tour is not going to be like the last one the last one was like a greatest hits tour an entire retrospect of the of the band's career will this tour focus a little bit on the last record too the Halloween record or different songs you're going to mix into the set yeah that's that's the difference first of all it's a little shorter I mean the last tour was basically the legacy you had like you played three hours and, and when we were goofing around on stage too much it was easily three and a half hours and we were just banging out the hits, really, because that we didn't have a new record, which was amazing. It's a, it's a great thing to do. Uh, this time, we, we of course, you want to play some new songs from, from the new album. And we play shorter because we come with Hammerfall, so it's going to be slightly different. Yeah. I mean, it has to be exhausting for three-plus hours on stage. I mean, I'm in the audience, and I'm like, oh, I'm, and I'm <laughs> I was getting tired. I can imagine it being is. up on stage. That's a, that's a long show. It is, but don't forget. I mean, it's hard for someone for someone like Löbele, you know. He's on stage the whole time. Also, the guitar players, the, the musicians, but the singers, you know, we have our breaks. You know, we don't we don't sing all the time. That's the cool thing about having two and a half singers or three singers. You know, that's true. Well, I'm really ex- Mike. I, I'm going to let you go because I know you have another interview to do after this, probably. But May 13th, the tour kicks off in Texas, and I can't wait for you to get to New York on May 20th. They're playing at Terminal 5, a great big club. Not like Europe, but, you know, still four 5,000 seat club, and I'm looking forward to seeing you guys there. I know you're going to sell it out again, because you're just doing an amazing job. It was great last time. I mean, the, when we got to, to the U.S. in 2018, it was really just a try. It was really just trying to figure out where do we stand. So it was, I think we had about five shows, something like that, maybe six. I can't exactly remember. But it went down really well. I mean, with the, the spirit was great. The, the, the stage sound was great. Everything just felt right. So this time we just, we decided to do go a little further, you know, play a little more. I mean, we have more than twice as many shows. 
and some of the venues are, are even bigger. Not everywhere it's bigger, but in some places it's bigger than before. So let's see what happens. And if it turns out great, who knows? Maybe we will extend on that too next time, you know. I hope so. Well, Michael, it's a pleasure to talk to you like always, and I can't wait to see you guys in another month or so. Yeah. Take care, Mike. Have a great day. Stand your ground, my friend. Refuse, and your fall goes hand in hand. Decide, decide,
you're taking This is the life you're chasing Fair of the Fallen. We're going to get some new Enforcer on. Then we got to get to Craig Losario, Losicero, excuse me, from Forbidden. We're going to try to keep tonight's show at the two-hour mark because last week we went up to 9 o'clock talking to Claude Snell. We only got only maybe to 87. We still had about 25 more years to talk about, but we'll do that the next time with him. All right, so let's play some brand new Enforcer. Before that, John was good enough to get the ex-president Donald Trump to endorse the show. So here you go. Mike, I raised my fist to the success of the heavy metal mayhem radio you show you are making metal great again thank you john that was hysterical man i wanted to play it last week but we ran so late and you left i didn't get a chance but thank you very much i do appreciate that all right new enforcer unshackle me
I also want to get a new Metal Church, a new Burning Witches. We're going to have to save that for next week. Every month, I start out slow with, hey, you know what? We're going to have one guest on a week. Then it turns into two and three, and it's not a lot of time for music. So uh, we're going to get to Craig from uh, Forbidden in about two minutes. Uh, Mr. Who do we have on the show next week before I forget to mention it later on? Hey, my good friend Danny Hines of Weapon is on next week, and they got a brand new record out. Nuclear Order, it's going to be a great one. Everybody has to pick up this album. And Jamie Jaster is on the show next week from Hatebreed. So don't forget to tune in. He just bought out the Milwaukee Metal Festival name, and they got that show coming up uh, Memorial Day weekend. So we'll be talking to Jamie Jaster and Danny Hines next week. All right, how about we uh, do some classic Forbidden first? Well, actually, it's all kind of all classic because they haven't done much in a very long time. But here's uh, Chalice of Blood.
good, man. I was, could have been anybody because I know my net, my number is blocked. But well, you were the only one expecting it this time, so it's okay. Well, you know, it's funny because the the the, uh, the number here has an extra number at the end of it. It says uh, three eight nine five seven. I was like, I look down. I'm like, oh shit! I hope it stops at five. Cause I... <laughs> it must have been an accident on the computer when we typed it in. That's all right. We um, we we got it. So. Uh, that's all that matters. And, and listen, I can't tell you, being such a big Forbidden fan, going back to the Forbidden Evil days, I'm so happy that you guys decided to put this back together. And you called it a rebirth, not a reunion, which I thought was really, really smart. Well, it's not really a reunion except for Matt, myself, and Steve Smythe, you know. Um, and, you know, Steve's not an original member like Matt and I. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, we, we, yeah. I mean, that kind of came to me in the moment, you know, because, I mean, this all really did happen fast. And, I didn't anticipate on uh, kicking Forbidden off again at any point. Uh, it, t- it took a bunch of little things, like little obstacles got knocked out of the way, and then it just became like, okay, well, I guess I can't deny that it has to happen. You know, uh, I'm glad that it didn't. You know, Norman Skinner, the new singer for the band, I mean, Norm's an amazing vocalist. Him to Russ, I think, are night and day, you know, vocal-wise, but I'm dying to hear how it's going to sound with him. I mean, you've already heard it. You've known, but... How's it working out with Norman? Oh, it was great. I mean, I, you know, I got a, the first time we watched him, we uh, were, we were rehearsing for uh, the Bay Area International thing that, that we did in Europe. You know, this, this last uh, summer we played Dynamo, and we had a bunch of singers that were on slate to be part of the European thing, but none of them were in the Bay Area. They were, we had to rehearse, and we had, like, Caton from Hyrax and, you know, Randy from Lamb of God and Marco Asagueda is the main guys and um, from Death Angel. I just want to make sure I put that in there. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, so we didn't have anyone to sing. And then, you know, I was telling Contos, I'm like, because Chris Contos was one of the drummers at the time. And I was like, man, we don't have anyone to, like, follow here. And he's like, why don't you give Norman Skinner a call? So that was the first time it was even put in my head to even think about him to sing, like, you know, Metallica and Megadeth and all the other things we were doing. And, uh, Exodus, all that shit. So he sang uh, at that rehearsal and did a bunch of songs. And then the deal with Interthrashal is nobody can play their own song. So, you know, if the guys in Death Angel are there, they got to stand and watch while other people play their song. And that goes all the way around the band. So, you know, Forbidden was going to have a song at Dynamo and it was going to be Off the Edge. And I said, well, yeah, maybe we should just, uh, you know, do Off the Edge here. And Norman, like, grabbed the mic. He's like, okay, let's go. I'm ready. And I'm like, okay. And then we started it, and I didn't. In the moment, I was like, holy crap, none of us are going to play this. Like, there's not one of the five of us here that are going to be in Europe doing this song. I didn't stop. Matt started the, the, you know, bass line for Off the Edge. And and, uh, then Norman started singing, and it was like a holy crap moment. Like, wow, he sounds great singing this stuff. And, you know, uh, Chris Contos was out in the hallway with – Harold O, and he opens the door real slow, and his eyes are just gigantic, and he's just like, dude, you know, like, <laughs> do you hear what's going on? And I'm like, yeah, I hear it. But, you know, that was the first time that I heard it, and I still wasn't thinking we were going to do anything about that. And then uh, we had to come back from Europe, did our show, and get ready for another show. And it was going to be like 30-something songs. And, you know, I had I my idea was to have the guys in Warbringer come up to the Bay Area to play some songs, and Chalice of Blood was going to be one of them. And we were going to have Norman sing it. And I wanted to see how that went. And it was incredible. At the, at the rehearsal the night before, everybody like turns and looks at me as soon as he starts singing. And then during the show, same deal. As soon as he started singing, just the eyeballs just like 
turn towards me and I'm standing on the side of the stage like, yep, yep, I hear it. But I wasn't really ready for it then. And it was just a lot of little circumstances that kind of brought us here. And um, I, I got an email from Alcatraz and uh, they asked if we would be interested in taking Anthrax's spot um, at this year's Alcatraz Festival and do a 35th anniversary of Forbidden Evil show. And, and they literally, literally asked for a different singer because they knew Russ was retired and, 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 you know, not doing it anymore. And they also asked if Chris Contos wouldn't be interested in playing drums because it's a great story. And I already played with them in the boneless ones. So even then, I mean, well, actually then at that moment was the moment where I said, okay, I've got to do this. I've, I've, I called my manager and I said, the universe is telling me something. We, we've got to go for this and at least figure it out. And I don't know who's going to play drums, but they did ask for Chris Contos. And I didn't really want to risk our friendship. And uh, so I let Chris know what I was going to do. And he's like giving me suggestions for drummers. And I already had them all on speed dial anyway. Everybody was interested in doing it. <laughs> and then I like I said, man, before I pull the trigger on this, you know, we should probably examine this because you live here. You're my friend. We get along great. We write great together. Like, you know, don't you want to make an incredible uh, metal record down the road? He's like, yep, let's do it. So that's kind of how he, he came in. But, you know, everybody, one by one, as I called the guys up, it was like the answer yes came before I even really finished the sentence to, to the other three guys. You know, it, it, Matt was waiting. Uh, Steve's been wanting to do this and ever since he saw Skinner sing that time. And, you know, um, and then there's Chris, who he was the last the last one, you know. Norman didn't even let me finish the sentence. You know, he's like, I'm in. <laughs> it's like, okay. So, you know, it's a show. And then it's and it's coming home and working on music and, and seeing where that leads us, you know. That's basically what's on tap right now. That's great. And I like the way you said, like, you know, you didn't really want to work with Chris because you didn't want to ruin your friendship more than anything else. And there's being, I mean, because you play together in the Boneless Ones, which has been around for decades, you know. Also Spiral Arms. So, I mean, don't you think you have enough of a chemistry together playing that it would work out? Or is just being in a band could really be a friendship killer when things kind of go south? Well, yeah, all, all those things are true. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the Boneless Ones was, is a legacy act that I, I watched as, ki- as a kid. I mean, I, I saw them play with their amazing guitar player, Luke, and Chris Contos was like a teenager when I saw them. And then, you know, I, I watched them play their last show right in front of my face. And I didn't really, uh, you know, get into that band until he approached me a couple of years ago. It's been like two years now, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, during COVID, and said, would you be interested in checking out this, writing an album with us, because our old guitar player here just doesn't really have the right hand or the metal chops to do that crossover thing, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. And I loved the guys when I met them. And that's how that began. And then we kind of wrote an album working through COVID. And, um you know, I mean, but yeah, Spiral Arms, Chris and I are already had an incredible chemistry musically. Uh, he's explosive. He's great. He, and he deserves to be in a spot where he's going to be really examined, you know, in the long lineage of great drummers and forbidden. Uh, Chris is as great as all those guys. You know, I mean, I played with them all. Everyone will tell you who their favorite is. You know, usually people like to point to Paul Bostap, but all those guys were great. Jacobs was great. You know, Hernandez was great, and then Sasha Horn was great, and now he's in uh, Exhorter. And, you know, so these guys are all phenomenal, you know, and uh, Chris is right there. They're just all a little bit different. True. Well, you know, Paul was there from the beginning of Forbidden, you know, not maybe Forbidden Evil, but from the beginning of Forbidden. 
So I, I kind of get that. But that Drummond seemed to always be the sticking point with Forbidden. I mean, that was like the one spot that needed to get filled quite often. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when Paul gets the offer for Slayer, you got to go, you know. Um, so the, at, that, at that point, metal was just, or thrash metal was just about to take a complete shit. And uh, Slayer's one of those establishments, right? They, they survived all that. Even in their darkest days, at least they could exist, you know. And um, so it was, it was right for him to leave. And then, you know, we had Steve Jacobs all the way to the end from 19, to 97, and he went with, along with me to Man Made God, and he damaged his shoulder pretty bad uh, doing the Man Made God project. It, it's, yeah, it, he, he really hurt it. So he's not even playing drums anymore, you know. That's, that's the reason why he wasn't there. You know, then we did our very first shows, and Gene Hoagland sat in for the ones of the Bay Area. And then I tried out Mark Hernandez, and you know, I, I loved playing with him, but he left the band in 2011 because he had to for family reasons. And so he really wasn't in the band this last time around. And even when I was playing with him in Dress the Dead, it's like the Forbidden gig wasn't there for him because I can't, his life just doesn't allow for that much time, or, you know, I don't want to like be put, left at the altar again. And so that wasn't really an option. I hear that. You know, Craig, if you kind of go back to the beginning, to the Forbidden Evil days, I remember 1985, long before we had the internet and social media, people traded tapes with each other. And I had a great pen pal out in California send me a copy of Egypt Has Fallen on demo. And that's huh. when I became a fan of the band. And when you think back, I mean, you were kind of just a kid yourself back then. Oh, I was the youngest one. I was the youngest one. I was, I was always the youngest one in the band once we got established. John Tagia was our original bass player. He's like a you know few months younger than me, but he didn't last much into much into Ruthie's end. He was he was pretty much gone from that point on. So uh, yeah, you know we we were playing Ruthie's before I was even you know seventeen years old. At sixteen, we were already playing Ruthie's. And Egypt was a song, an instrumental that Rob had written uh, before Forbidden Evil really was a band. And I remember watching him working on it like going fuck dude this is killer you know because we were friends before uh forbidden evil got together you know so um yeah i mean he, you know he's very evolved he was very very forward thinking and smart about his, his his writing even way back then true and you know you think if forbidden evil came out around 85 you know by that point the time slayer already had their first record out the ep metallica won their second record so the thrash scene was really starting to explode by then then you guys come out a bunch of kids trying to make a name for yourselves. And it took a year or two before it morphed into Forbidden. That's when I think the band really started getting noticed. But by also by that time, you know, the scene has started changing again. And it's always like an ever-evolving scene, like where you go from thrash to speed to death to this. It keeps moving on. Did the band ever feel like it was always playing catch-up to what was happening around it? Uh, actually, I always, well, you know, we were actually a little bit ahead of what was happening around us, but people were catching up. And then, you know, we'd be like a step ahead, but yet the, the, the genre and what we would get classified in was changing in front of us. You know, but we were always, nobody was doing what Forbidden did. You know, in that time, it wasn't just thrash. It was it was super melodic thrash with an incredible singer playing the hardest stuff. You know, I mean, it, it truly is the hardest material out of all the Bay Area bands. It's so freaking difficult. And, uh, and if you want proof of that, just look for anybody trying to do a cover. <laughs> it's not happening you know they, they can't figure it out and uh, it's just hard stuff to play so you know I mean you could say we were playing catch up but on the other hand we were just a little bit ahead and I think people's interpretations of us were playing catch up you know and then the things just change you know I mean <clears throat> a lot of my 
a lot of my peers get really bitter and, and jaded about it. I never did. I was just always kind of moving around and creating, uh, just trying to do, you know, art and not really worried about chasing things or catching things or, you know, it just wasn't my, wasn't my concern. I've never been trying to be the biggest band or, you know, chase down trends or any of that stuff. True. I mean, you know, like when you think about it, I mean, you know, you can have a, a genre of music that you love and you want to play, but as an artist and as a musician, as a songwriter, you do want to experiment. And when I look at just the Forbidden Catalog alone, I mean, Twisted into Form, I thought was a great follow-up to Forbidden Evil. Then things started changing, you know, with Distortion and Green, the band went in a whole completely different direction, I think, musically. Was that because of the times were changing or just where you were musically at that point in time, yourself personally as a songwriter and maybe a whole as the band? Well, I mean, I kind of answered that just a second ago because yeah. what happens is, you know, things. Dude, you have three and a half years between Twisted in the Form and Distortion, you know, and within that time, the industry had completely changed, and no thrash metal band was. I mean, you had zero point zero zero true thrash metal bands having any success. It was death metal. It was all, you know, obviously rock grunge stuff coming up. It was just like there wasn't really room for thrash metal. You had. Pantera, but they were like, you know, they were using elements of thrash, but they were still like almost rock and roll in a way too, you know, like Van Halen of the of the nineties. So there's like everything. You know, Sepultura. I mean, the, your examples are either death metal or things that are on the verge of death metal that were had thrash elements. But there certainly was never, there was no flat out thrash band that was successful from 1991 to 1990. I God, I I think like. I don't even know, like maybe after the year 2000, like, you know, thrash started really becoming prevalent again. So yeah, things, things change, you know? And, uh, we were just another band in that it wasn't, people tend to focus in on it. Like, well, you guys changed a lot of like, dude, are you pay attention to everything else that happened? <laughs> it's like it, was a whole, it was a whole evolving scene at the time. I mean, that's just the way things were going. And I guess if you wanted to be relevant and keep busy, you had to kind of go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Even being relevant wasn't really a thing because there was no there was no being relevant for all of us. I remember we toured with Testament and they did low. You know they had the ritual was basically their rock and roll album, and then they, you know, after that they came out with low and it was like had elements of death metal and things like that. And you know there wasn't many people going to those shows. You know there wasn't. You know we we toured Europe with Gorefest and and people were just shocked at how heavy we were. But it was like it was out of favor with the times because you know Gorefest was like rock death metal. Yeah. You know, it, it, they're kind of rock at the time too. They they did a big switch from their first album to to the album that we toured with them on. So things were just different. It was yeah, everyone was navigating and loving the new music that was. I mean, I did not hate uh, a lot of the music that came out. I I was not a Nirvana fan per se, but I respected them. But I was a huge Soundgarden fan. Way I mean. Before the 90s even started, I was a Soundgarden fan. And when Alice in Chains popped off with Facelift, I was like, this is great. I, and it, it wasn't until the word grunge that I just cringed, you know, because that's like, what's this word? Those are just great heavy rock bands. Like, I don't, this word grunge is fucking stupid. You know, these, these bands are awesome, you know. So it didn't really bother me uh, watching uh, the table get reset because it kind of needed it. And then, you know, as a result, years later when Thrash Metal did come back, there's some elements that glue it together that make it a little bit more, uh, you know, universal than it used to be at the very beginning. True. You know, but when the music starts to change with the times and you kind of go with it, do you worry about the original fan base? Because 
like take Metallica. You have everybody like, you know, and Justice for All is it for me. I don't like nothing they did after that. They were a different band, you know, and, and then you have the people that came to the band during that are like, well, I don't like their early stuff. That's not what I'm into. So it kind of goes both ways. So do you write for your fans or do you really have to write for yourself and hope that the fans oh, never, get what you're I've doing? Never, I can answer that right now. I've never written for the fans. Never. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, this is never, it's never been our MO. When I write lyrics, I don't think about that. When I'm writing riffs, I don't think about that. I just I write what I like, and there are going to be some so, sort of subliminal exterior influences in anything you do, you know, uh, no matter who you are, and and you know, trying to keep the fa- for the fans, with the fans weren't there, they weren't paying attention to all of us, so you're not really writing for the fans because they aren't actually there. Years later, they came back around, you know, like oh yeah, well. I'm going to go back into what I used to like. and But there was a long period of time where you had very, very few thrash metal fans. They were all into different things, too. We can all pretend that they were focused on just thrash metal. And there was a few. You know, there's probably a hundred or so people on planet Earth that just stayed at thrash metal and nothing else. But everything else had changed. Very true. But you know, I, I always love that when people say, you know, well, you know, the grunge came in and, and it just killed, you know, the 80s metal, everything, thrash, hair, power. It just killed it all. I'm like, but there were millions of fans here on a Monday. Where, I always say, where did those million people go on Tuesday after Nirvana released their first single? Where did they all disappear to? I mean, it, it's all, exactly well, like I, you said. I can tell you where. The fans, the, can, it, the fans fault. Please. I can totally answer that. And they did. And it was that quick. It was, it was. It was uh, if you were like a thrash metal guy and you weren't following the grunge trend, you were you were way into Pantera, White Zombie, Sepultura, all the death metal, Obituary. You know, there's all these things that came up. I mean, Carcass. I remember they came up with Heartwork. There was so much great stuff going going in the heavy vibe, but it wasn't thrash metal. And thrash metal was a complete pariah to a lot of these people. Um, you know, I mean, dude, even you know, look at Creator. I mean. All these bands, even the bands that stuck around, wow, you know, they they evolved or changed or tried to, like, figure out where they were sitting. And instead of me chasing down things and trying to make Forbidden uh, a certain thing that it, it just never was going to be, I just had to, like, pretty much end it after Green because that was our biggest fuck you record. Green was like a big, angry caveman club to everything about the music industry. And it was very Neanderthal for us, but, man, did it feel good to get it done. And when it was done, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I had no more, my, my real anger towards the industry and everything was gone. I, I just, like, shed that skin and I was ready to move on. And that was 97, and the band did kind of end right after that. I mean, like I said, you got tired of the whole thing, I guess, but was the whole band on the same page where they said, let's put this to bed now? Not exactly. I, I Three of us definitely were, because uh, when, I, when I ended the band, I, I basically quit. I, and then everyone's like, well, if you're quitting, that's... Uh, because, you know, I did the majority of the work. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, nobody wanted to do it. And then two of the guys wanted to come along with me at any cost, in, in, uh, Matt and Steve. And I and I was trying to get away from all of them. I loved them. I loved them. But I was like, man, I need to really find something new. But I was glad uh, that Matt and Steve did come along because we started Man May God. And it was very experimental, very heavy and beautiful. And it was it was just kind of finding our way through some weird shit. And it was cool. But Russ, yeah, he was kind of tired. He, he was beating the dead horse. He knew it was over, so he just wanted to do some other stuff. The guy who was upset was Tim. Uh, Tim Calvert would, definitely felt like, what the fuck? And, you know, I was like, bro, you know, we tried. I mean, the, the, no one's coming. No one's going to be knocking down our door. You know, it's going to take 
five, six years to before this cycle comes back around again. I even knew it back then. Well, it's going to come around. You know, it'll. But right now, there's nothing there for you. So I told him he should definitely uh, try out for Nevermore, and then he did, and he got the gig, and it was perfect. You know. Absolutely, and it was about ten years before. I mean, there was a little reunion in between, but it was ten years later that the band kind of officially got back together. And you know, Alpha Omega comes out. And I thought that was a great Omega record. Wave. I'm sorry, Omega, Omega Wave. Wave. I'm, I'm sorry, I got, I got something else, man. Omega right. Wave comes out. Well, the first song, the first song is called Alpha Century. So, I got a combination of everything there. So that was good, but a great record. I saw you guys in New Jersey with Overkill and Eval. They were on the bill with you, and I just thought it was an amazing show. And I was hoping for so much more, but that kind of was short-lived, also. Even though it was about five or six years. Yeah, you know, uh, the the entire time that we did the reunion era with with Russ, he was battling with alcoholism, and it was a very serious thing. And the most focused he got was to actually record Omega Wave and write Omega Wave, and he became very focused then. And then when that was done, I guess he kind of felt like the hard work's done. I'm just going to go back to my, you know, partying ways, and that that party was well over. So there was no point that Forbidden went up on stage and was Russ, like, really 100%. You know, it was always like he was hindered by the alcohol, had to have alcohol to do the show, you know, drinking during the day, it, you know, like a lot of rock guys, but he, he, it, had, it had soured on him. You know, it, it just wasn't working for him at any stage during the reunion. And that was, you know, you can only do that for so long. And I think we were coming back from a metal fest in Chile and he told me he didn't want to play Wacken and. He was tired of touring, and, you know, just really kind of like, I compared a little bit to like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just kind of like, Ugh. I was like, bro, if you cancel whacking, then this is, I'm not going to push this boulder up the hill anymore, you know, and that was where we left it, and it just kind of fizzled away. It wasn't an actual breakup. There was no anger. It was more like, well, I tried, you know, he's, he wasn't motivatable. there hello Craig can you hear me yeah I can hear you now yeah we lost the connection for a second I was saying does it get harder each time you stop the band then start it up again to kind of you know get the momentum going well I've only done it once before this is the second time you know I no no it doesn't I mean listen man from the onset of this conversation I'm telling you that I had no intentions of starting this band over again, even a month and a half ago. Zero. Zero. It was never, never in my, you know, people wanted me to once they saw Norman singing, but I wasn't ready to do it until I, you know, that offer came and I realized this is not going away. And I do feel like writing lyrics again. I do feel like writing those kind of explosive riffs again. I mean, I'm feeling, I'm feeling that itch that it just forced my hand. And the first time, I you know, it was it was fun starting it over again. I mean, we originally wanted to do it with Tim Calvert, but he was already a pilot, and he wasn't about to be able to break away to do any of this stuff. So, you know, we kind of got Glenn back in the band, and, and that was interesting because he was always like kind of – Glenn was always the odd man out when we were the first time around, you know. And then it was here as was the second time around. It was more of the same. He just wasn't not really a team player like the rest of us, but he's a great guitar player, and he's a great – Great dude, but it's just really hard to be in a band with him. So that didn't work out long. That's where we got Steve Smythe. So you know, it's it's different each time. It's this is only my, this is only round two of the, you know, pressing the restart button, and uh, it's been the easiest it's ever been because I got everyone on the same page. Everyone's really, really, really excited 
they're all listening to me and not arguing about detail. Everyone, everything's getting done. Plans are being made. I feel like, wow, this is. If it was always this easy, I might not have ever broke up. But it became a drag, you know. Yeah, you know, Norman has such an amazing range in his vocals from Skinner, Nivian, and he's played with so many other bands, Helium Prime, back in the day. Does that allow you as a songwriter to write in a different mode because you have somebody that can kind of handle, I think, any vocal style for any song you come up with? Yeah, absolutely. that's why Russ was great. And they are a little different, but, you know, I wrote most of the lyrics for Russ, too. And we would write melodies and work on things together, but that's, that's how the relationship was. So that's not really going to change. And Norman's really excited to learn, you know, the language, the, the process, the, the, you know, the way that I do things. He's really fired up. So I think it's going to be a, a really easy relationship to get through, you know. I, I, and I know how – it's funny because people are, I wonder how he's going to sound. Like, I already know. I, yeah. We all know. That's why everyone was so confident in this whole thing. Like, we know. We already know what it sounds like. It was fucking awesome. So, like, you know, everyone else can wonder all they want, but I already know. That dude is fucking great, and he's open-minded, and he's got a great attitude. So yeah. there's your combination to actually get you to the next – you know, the next stage of the rocket ship, he's going to actually blow people's minds because they're going to get a version of Forbidden where all five people are enthusiastic. They hadn't seen that that last time around. And, and that's important. You know, anytime you replace the lead singer, especially if you go back to the 80s, it was, you know, it was difficult. Let's be honest. It was hard to replace the lead singer of, of a known band back then. Today, it's a lot easier. It seems. It's a lot more acceptable. The fans are more willing to accept it because they want to hear the music. So was that a concern to you saying, you know what, it's not Russ and people know Russ. We got Norm now. Is that something you thought about at all? Uh, like I said, I already know. You know, it, you know it, I mean, that's why I never wanted to do it in the first place. I never wanted to do it. And that was because of my respect for Russ. It wasn't until those moments with Norman where he sang those songs and everybody goes, holy, holy shit. Those holy shit moments stick with you. When you turn around and you see people's eyes like, oh, that's great. You know, and it just was unanimous. And I think if you also, you can really look at the way you have your no rust, no forbidden, which was my attitude forever until Norman came along and showed me how, you know. But, I mean, that was – you see these things, and then you see the people that know who Norman is in the Bay Area, which is, you know, there's thousands of us out here. And they're like, it's perfect, you know. And then you see these comments go back and forth, and people are like – basically, you know, paraphrasing what people are saying. like, you don't even know, you know, because like, you don't until you know. And anyone who saw him at International absolutely knew. And even I knew right then, I just wasn't ready to accept it. Well, I'm glad that you finally did. I mean, I know you got the Alcatraz Festival coming up. I mean, any other plans lined up for the rest of the year? You just Because this came out of nowhere for a lot of people. Nobody expected to hear this. You guys really did keep it on the wrap pretty well for the most part because well, it, it took me by surprise. It took me by surprise. It was only a month <laughs> and a half ago that I even thought about doing it. It's not. It hasn't been in the works for a long time. It's been uh, a, a truly organic and positive snowball you know it's like oh okay you know we can do this and so I, just, I didn't go into it with long plans or you know but i as things unraveled in a good way i got really fired up and there are going to be plans like we're just going to really concentrate on alcatraz for now because it's a big big festival to yeah. show people what we got and we're going to you know do forbidden evil in its entirety and that's and plus some other songs i mean that's really the kind of focal point but when that's done, I'm going to immediately come home and get into riff writing and, you know, start putting together pieces for the album. I can neither confirm or deny anything towards the end of the year, but, you know, announcements will come. And then next year, 
is going to be all about finishing writing that record, recording that record, festivals that are really important for us. I, I can't wait. Greg, when you think about, you know, Forbidden from the very beginning, the first go-around, the, the second reunion, and this one, what, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from each time? And things maybe say, you know, I learned that from the first time, so I'm not going to make that mistake the second time, and I'm not going to make it the third time. Was there anything that you've learned from each incarnation of the band that you say, you know, we can't repeat this because this is where we go wrong. This is what takes us down the wrong road. Good question. Uh, there's two things. One is you really can't run a band properly the way things used to go. You can't hit every nook and cranny on the road and make it affordable to do so. Sadly, you cannot go everywhere. It's just not possible. Gas is too much. You know, people don't show up in certain towns. I mean, it's sad, but the days of hitting every market are gone. Yeah. You know, that's one. And that's sad. That's like people are going to get pissed, you know, in Anchorage. Uh, you know, I mean, New Mexico, you go down the line, like, these are places that you want to play, but you have to, like, do it. It has to be affordable, you know. You can't you can't break your ass to do things that don't really pay off. So that's one thing. And I don't mean just money. I just mean, like, don't lose money. You, know? yeah. Yeah. you can't just lose money. So that's one. And the other thing is don't settle on band members that you that you know won't work out, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, I mean, people are like, you should do it with this guy. You should do it with that guy. Well, the only guy who was in the band since the day we started is me. And I know who works and who doesn't and what situation they will work out in. And you just got to go, you know, man, you got to have people, like I said earlier, you got to have people all working together. It's like a fist. You can't have a couple fingers and a thumb all floating around because you, you know, your punch is going to break some fingers. You know, you have to be working together. And that's, that's the biggest thing I'm excited about is I've worked with all these guys, except for Norman for that matter. But I mean, I know Norman's work ethic. I know his reputation. I know how much people love him. And I know how good he is on stage. He's going to, he's going to fit like a glove in this position. And he's not, he's never had an asshole, asshole reputation. He's never, you know, he's it's always like Norman's really easy to work with. It's super hardworking. So it's the perfect lineup. Chris Contos is the absolute best person to play drums in this band. At this stage, he's, you know, he's a, uh, for one thing, he's, his, his dad was a famous producer, and he has impeccable ears for hearing big picture ideas. So writing a record with him is going to be extremely exciting because I know that we're going to have a big overview that I, I really have been missing in the band since... Uh, and he's got even more of it than Bo Staff, you know, but Bo, Paul was good for, like, just kind of the overview and big ideas. I think Chris is amazing at that, and that's one of the reasons why I burned my eyes is so timeless is because the work that Rob did with him. So, you know, um, it's a good it's a good lineup, man. It's fucking strong. It definitely is. I mean, I, I mean, Craig, what is the hardest part of being in a band today? You know, you talked about the money with the touring and not hitting the market, but... I mean, when you have four or five guys in a band, it's great to be friendly with each other, but you also get to the point and say, you know what, this is a business and we're business associates and we've got to keep it that way to keep things moving you know, together in the right direction because being friends too friendly could also cause a lot of problems. Is it, is it the members in the band that's the hardest part about being in a band? Yeah, yeah, sure, including myself. I mean, everyone's hard to deal with at certain days. You have to kind of get used to each other's parts, you know. I mean, that's just, you know, it's like a marriage. It's like the old cliche you hear. Was, oh, being in a band is like a marriage. In other words, you have to compromise sometimes, and you have to lay your foot 
you know, put your foot down other times. And in my position, of this this time around, I'm the clear leader of this thing, you know. And they know that, and they, they actually say that. They, I listen to them talk about it, and they're all, we're following Craig's lead with this one. And it was different with Russ because we tried to do it together, but he wasn't super motivated. So you know how that works, you know. Yeah. It's like having an oar that's – one oar is bigger than the other. It, it, you just, like, start going in circles, you know. And now they're actually letting me – clear you know do i mean dude fuck if if we do things the way i see them over the next year i i don't think the band's anything more than a cult band at this point i i never thought we were very big i know that we didn't you know become a household word but somehow some way our legacy grew to a point of deep respect with our peers and a lot of the metal fans and a lot of the kids these days and we're probably in some ways bigger than we were back then you know so you know, I mean, if we if we stick the landing and we do things right, and in a year after, you know, see when the album comes out, and, you know, we might have some life and be able to carve a little niche for ourselves out there. True. I mean, considering that Forbidden was the only thing musically you've done that really was successful and people were into, I mean, did you look back and say, yeah, we were just like a cult thing back then, or did you really ever sit back and say, you know, we kind of left our mark on the scene, you know, something that's going to be around forever? Well, you can be both, and that's forbidden, you know. It is a cult thing that left its mark on the scene. That you absolutely did. Hey, Craig, I'm not going to keep it. I know you got a lot of these interviews going on, and I'm just excited about this, and I hope that you guys do get back out on tour. I know if you do, you'll probably hit the New York area because, you know, it's one of the bigger markets out there for you guys, and it was great seeing you 10 years ago, 12 years ago when you came to the area. I'm hoping we can do it again one day because Forbidden really oh, is a masterful will. live band. We will for sure, you know, and I remember that show in New Jersey. That was that big venue, um, the Solomon Ballroom, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. It was, it was great hanging out with... I love the Overkill guys. i got to say, that's my favorite album of this year so far. The Overkill, you know, yeah, it's a killer. a really good record. It's really good. I, I, find it, I find it the best one of their last, their newest era. And Ironbound was great, too. So, But I really, really like it. I'm like, wow, they just, they just nailed it on this one. I'm so proud of them. And I love Bobby. Bobby is one of the first people to congratulate me as soon as he saw the news. Bob is a super nice guy, and I love the way you said that, of this era, because that's where I feel like we're at right now, that there's so many different eras of the bands that we've all grown up and loved over the years, and I think we're in a new era of Forbidden right now, and it's going to be a great one. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it, and, and you had really good questions. I appreciated your, your, tough, your tough questions, you know? I mean, you know, I put a lot of thought into this, I, I, and uh, it's been a short amount of time, but I'm just introspective, so you kind of you can, you nailed, nailed down some good questions there. I'm glad, Craig, and I can't wait for this, you know, to see you guys live, and I, I know we're going to get new music from you, and I can't wait to hear with Norm on there. It's going to be just an amazing record when it does come out. Thank you so much, man. You Thank take you care. so much. I'll talk to you later. You got it, my friend. Take care. Bye-bye.
want to thank my guest for tonight, Michael Kiska of Halloween. The band will be here in the U.S. next week. Check out their uh, website, find out for coming near you, which I'm sure they are, and go check them out. And I want to thank Greg Cicero from Forbidden. Even though you don't like his fans, we like him. There you go. And don't forget to tune in next week. Jamie Jasta from Hatebreed. Danny Hines, a weapon. How about we wrap it up here tonight with a little breaker? Razor's Edge. Take care, everybody. I'll see you next week. Have a great one. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.